0: and missions. All right, so today, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, we're continuing uh, in this series that we began back the first of the year. Uh, We've had some snow and some other things since then, but uh, continuing this series, we're seeking to lay out a, a biblical vision for the church. What is the purpose of this Thing we call the church, this gathering, this this body, this group of people that come together, rescued by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and 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 brought out of the darkness of our sin and into His marvelous light. What what now? What's next? What are we supposed to be about it? We're not we're not talking about just what could the church do, because the church can do lots of things. We're talking about what must the church do. What are the non-negotiables? What are the the basic essentials? Uh, for us in terms of uh, not just coming to church, but actually being the church, and I would argue those are two very different things uh, Back in the 90s there was a movement in the American churches that began continues to this day that is known as the church growth movement uh, this kind of came alongside the uh, seeker-sensitive movement that we talked about a few weeks ago, and this, the church growth movement was about how do we help our churches to grow. There was a recognition. Uh, That the vast majority of churches in America, even in the 90s, and it's much worse today, the vast majority of churches in America uh, have either plateaued or are declining in in their weekly attendance. Uh, Things were not looking good for the American church. And so there were uh, groups of folks that got together and said, how do we help the church to grow? And the church growth growth movement began, and, and thousands of books have been written in the church growth movement. Hundreds of websites have been started to help churches to grow. Dozens of conferences happen every year that are are centered around church growth and this church growth movement. And a lot of it's been really good. I as your pastor have benefited much from from this particular movement in in many ways, especially in the areas where the church growth movement has has pointed us back to the scriptures and has urged us to see that that God too desires His church to grow. But but what we've also seen in the church growth movement is there's been some very unhealthy things. There's been Some emphasis that has led us to a a model for the church that is very much a, a CEO business oriented type of model where we have adopted the ways and the methodologies of our culture. Where rather than depending upon God and the Holy Spirit's work among us to grow His church, rather than being focused upon His Word and His ways, instead we've said in some areas, well, we don't need that nearly as much because uh, we have marketing strategies. We have websites now. We have these conferences, and we have uh, these classes, and, and we have these seminars, and we're not nearly so dependent upon God as we as we once were and as we should be. There's some dangers that are connected to church growth when it's pursued in a worldly way. And we want to talk this morning about how do we pursue growth in the church, in a healthy, biblical God-honoring Christ Centered way. The title of today's message is basically where we're going to be headed this morning. This truth that we grow in the Word of Christ, that this is central to our growth as His body. This is a non this is a this is an essential, this is a non negotiable. This it lies at the very center of who we are as the people of God and who we are becoming as the people of God. And so the key idea today is this that we glorify God when we grow in the Word of Christ. Very simple statement, but we talked about in the first week of this series that our purpose as, as people created in the image of God is to glorify God with all that we are. We were created as worshiping beings that were meant to, at our, at our most foundational, fundamental level, we are meant to bring glory to our Creator, to be a reflection of His image in this world. And so we today would say we glorify God. When we grow in Christ, we grow in His Word in particular. So, three questions today that we're going to explore together. First of all, what are the means of spiritual growth? Secondly, what is the measure of spiritual growth? And thirdly, what are the marks of spiritual growth? And they're all found right here in Ephesians chapter 4, the best. Thing that's ever been written on church growth is Ephesians four eleven to 16 that we're going to explore this morning. So whether you've read, ever read any books or been to any websites or attended any conferences that came out of the church growth movement, everything we need is right here in Ephesians chapter 4. So we're going to explore it together today. Let's jump right in. Verses 11 and 12. What are the means of spiritual growth? What has God given to his church that enables us to grow? Well, first of all, we see here in verse 11, it says, and he gave, so God He has given to us gifts. That's what Ephesians 4 is laying out. A a variety of different gifts are given to the church. But in verse 11, he lays out four gifts in particular that are given for the purpose of growth in the body of Christ. Two of those, the first two, are what I would call foundational gifts. These are the ones that are referred to as the apostles and the prophets. These are the foundational gifts of the church. These were those who were who were called in those early days of, of Jesus' ministry. The word apostle means one who is sent out. And these were those men who were sent out by Christ, who had become his disciples, who had traveled with him during the three years of his ministry, who, who had been inspired and, and transformed by his teaching. These are those who were called apostles. And they had this foundational ministry in which God used them to lay a solid and good foundation for His church. With them, we have this group of folks that are called the prophets, who too were used by God to bring forth the Word of God for His church. Now, the reason we say these are foundational gifts is these are no longer in active service today These were gifts that were given to the early church to lay that strong foundation that that transformed the world. These were those that, that laid that foundation of the church, that got the church going, but they're no longer necessary for today. Now, I know if you've been in other denominations and other places, you may have heard this taught differently. We believe that these were foundational gifts that no longer are needed today because we have this. They were used by God to give us the New Testament That teaches us the ways of God so we no longer have need of an apostolic ministry or this particular type of of prophecy these were foundational gifts but think about this building that we're in right now I'm sure not many of us when you when you entered in the doors of this building probably not many of us paused to give thanks for the foundation of this building but I can guarantee you that if there were an earthquake today We would all be very thankful or very unthankful, depending on how it turns out, for those who laid the foundation of this building. We would all be very interested to know, if we knew there were an earthquake coming, that the foundation of this building was well laid, that those who had poured the concrete, those who had done the foundational work of this building, we would want to know that it was solid and that it was steady, would we not? and the same is true in the church. We don't think often about how the foundation of the church was laid. How in those early days in the first century that the apostles and prophets went out empowered by the Holy Spirit to lay the foundation for the church. We don't think often of that, but we need to be reminded this morning that we today stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of those who were bold in their faith and went out to change the world. We stand on the shoulders of men uh, like the apostle Peter, the apostle John, Apostle Paul we could go on with the list but God used a small group of bold spirit-filled men to radically transform the world in which we live these are foundational gifts for the church but alongside of them and following after them come formational gifts for the church And here he refers to them as the evangelists and the pastor teachers, I see that as a as a hyphenated word. They're pastor teachers. It's not pastors and teachers or shepherds and teachers as much as it's one office that comes together. It's what we hear in this church refer to as elders or pastors or shepherds or even sometimes as overseers. It's all these are all synonyms of the New Testament for the same office. But before we get to that office, we talk about these that are known as the evangelists. And here's how you can think about these, these two uh, groups of leaders in the church. The, the evangelists are kind of like obstetricians. Okay, the, the role of an obstetrician is to bring new life into the world, right? These are doctors that are trained to walk through that birthing process and to bring new life into the world. That's like an evangelist. These are those who are gifted with the gospel and sharing the gospel and, and bringing people to faith in Christ. Now, the, the role of the evangelist does not mean that the rest of us are off the hook. Like, that's what we got evangelists, so we don't have to share the faith. No, we're all called to be evangelists, but this is a special role, some that are specially gifted. Men in our own generation, like Billy Graham, for instance, just a specially gifted evangelist. That many have come to faith through his ministry. But he's like that obstetrician bringing new life, bringing new birth. Seeing people come out of darkness and into the light of Christ. But then you have these that are called the pastor teachers. Who are not like obstetricians, they're more like the pediatricians. I'm so thankful for the pediatrician that that serves our children with regularity. And I I think back even to uh, a couple of years back, uh, uh, there was something particular going on with with our youngest. Uh, his, His bowels weren't functioning as God intended them to. And I won't get too graphic with what all that entailed, you can imagine. But there was something wasn't working right. And so our pediatrician wisely encouraged us that we needed to take our our son and, and we needed to go to coast hospital to figure out what was going on and how it, it could be fixed now in that moment did my wife and I go you know that's probably really good counsel but we're just gonna pass he'll be fine no, no that would be horrible parenting right I mean we shouldn't be allowed to keep kids if that's the way we respond when the doctor says there's something going on here you need to go get this checked out if we said "Nah, we're just gonna pass he'll be fine no that would be horrible That would be parental malpractice. She was trying to help us to help our son grow in a normal and natural way. And any parents in this room that have experienced that kind of thing with your kids, where there's some impediment to their normal and natural development, you don't just look at that and go, oh, well. You know, in my home growing up, we, we marked our heights on the back of the door frame, the door leading into our kitchen. There was a, there were marks where my sister and I had grown up over the years. Now, if my parents had looked at those marks, and, and two years after one, uh, one mark, if I was still the same height, you know, as an elementary kid, if I hadn't grown in two years, they would have probably been going, okay, what's the deal here? Something's not right, right? And yet when we transfer that over into the church, into this reality of Ephesians 4 where we are called to grow up into Christ you see it there in the text we don't think twice about the reality that in our churches more often than not there's a vast majority of folks that have seen no spiritual growth no measurable appreciable growth since the day they made a profession of faith and subsequently were baptized But God gave, look at verse 11, God gave these foundational and these formational gifts, these leaders to the church, for what purpose? For the building up of the body of Christ. It's right there in verse 12. It's the desire of God that His church would grow to maturity in Christ. Furnishing growth in the church is a biblical expectation. You say, well, where do you see that? Look at these verses that are to come. He lays out these gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And then he says in verse 13, "...until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." Now, that word all in verse 13 is a very unique Greek word. It's really tricky. You look at that word, and it's translated only one way in every place that you find in the New Testament. Guess how it's translated? All. It's really tricky, right? It's never translated some or a few of you or even the majority. No, he's saying saying here it's meant for all of us. If you have been rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ poured out at the cross, if you have trusted Him, turning from your sin and trusted Him by faith, you were meant for Ephesians 4. You were meant to grow up into maturity in Christ. And there is something wrong if that has not been your experience. No parent looks at their kid who's not growing and says, Oh, well. Or suppose you had four kids in your home. And all of them are growing and developing well, but one of them is stunted in their growth and never seems to make it past two and a half feet tall. You don't go, well, three out of four ain't bad. No, you're at the doctor, aren't you? You're figuring out what's wrong here. And I want to say to us, church, there is something wrong in the American church today. That we look upon so many and say, well, you know, for some there's going to be the experience of growing in Christ and moving forward in their faith, of growing deeper in the Word, growing deeper in love with the Lord. And for some, you're just going to make a profession of faith and sit and stew in the sanctuary until Jesus comes back. Church, I want you to know this morning, that is not in any way a biblical view of Christianity. When he says all in verse 13, he means all. Unless we base a doctrine just upon one word, go on down a couple of verses. In verse 13, rather speaking the truth in love. We'll talk about what that means in just a few minutes. We are to grow up. He doesn't say we might grow up. We could grow up. Again, no parent looks at their kid and says, you know, you might grow up. Now, we do threaten ours sometimes with, by the grace of God, you might grow up or we might kill you. You know, I mean, that's a possibility, but you don't look at your kid and think, well, 50-50, chance they might grow up or they might not. No, the expectation of every good parent, the desire and the yearning of every good parent is to see your child grow to maturity. And some of you as middle schoolers are internally saying a hearty amen to that. And we think something's wrong if that's not happening. And we'll do whatever it takes to correct that developmental disability. Why is the same not true in our churches? It's because we missed Ephesians 4. I could spend a long time here. We don't have a long time, so we're going to move on. What is the means of spiritual growth? Secondly, what is the measure of spiritual growth? Again, think about that door frame in my home growing up that we measured our height by year after year and we marked the date on which we were measuring. It was always exciting to see how much we had grown year by year. What is the measurement of spiritual growth in the church? How do we know if it's happening? What is the goal, the measurement of growth that we ought to be seeing in our churches? Summed up very simply in verse 13 through 14, it's Christ himself. He is the measure. He is the goal. The goal is not just for us to be better people than we were before. The goal is is not just for us to memorize some scripture verses or to attend some classes. The goal is Christ-likeness. And if Christ-likeness is not being produced in us, something is terribly wrong. And I would say today in our churches, something is terribly wrong. So what do we mean growing in Christlikeness? First of all, I believe it means that the character of Christ is being formed in all areas in our lives. It's not just when we're in the church house. Not just when we come together for a couple hours on Sunday morning that we put on our nice little Christian faces and pretend to be like Jesus for a while and then go back out the door to act just like the world for the rest of the week. No, it's Christlikeness being developed in every area of my life in my business, in my time at school, in the quiet places that no one else sees but Him, that the character of Christ is being formed in us, little by little. A bit at a time. And yes, so often, I know if your struggle is like mine, so often it's three steps forward and two steps back. And it seems like there's a a seesaw a lot of times in our spiritual growth. We feel like we've come so far then we fall back into the same old temptation. I I know what that is. But what I would say to you is, over the long haul, if you've been walking with Jesus Christ for ten years, you ought to look a whole lot more like Him today than you did ten years ago. But if there's been no appreciable change, If the fruit of the Spirit is not growing on the branches of your life, go to Galatians 5, you'll see what I'm talking about. If you know little more about the Word of God than you did when you first trusted Him, it's not being lived out in you in any significant way. If your Christianity is something that you can just stick in your pocket after church on Sunday morning and not bring it out again until next Sunday morning, there is a problem. And may I be so bold to say that perhaps the problem is for many you never really belong to him. Perhaps you'll be among those that Jesus says I never knew you. Because to know Christ is to grow in Christ. That's what Ephesians 4 is showing us. Secondly, measure of spiritual growth. Competency. The competency of Christ with his word. How does Jesus respond when the devil comes face-to-face? Temptation is taking place in the wilderness. Jesus has not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting and praying in preparation for his own tempting, his own testing, to set before us an example of what it would look like to walk in victory against the temptations that we face. He was tempted, as the Bible says, in every way, just as we are, and yet he was without sin. Yet he did not once fall into temptation. What was the source of his victory? How does he respond to every temptation? With the Word of God. Psalm 119 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We don't memorize the Word of God just so we can be biblical fatheads. We don't need any more biblical fatheads in our churches. We need those who would understand that this is the sword of the Spirit, as Ephesians chapter 6 says, and that it empowers us to battle the enemy, but it also, in a positive way, empowers us to be a part of the rescue of others as we impart the Word of God to others, as we share the gospel with them, as we use the Word of God to counsel others in the ways of God. These are things that are marks of those who are growing in their faith. And I would say to you today... If you're not growing in the Word of Christ, something is wrong. And this gathering will not be enough. Please hear me, church. I'm getting ready to enter into some dangerous ground for just a moment. This gathering on Sunday morning, if this is your only experience with the Word of God in a given week if you are not opening His Word and reading it daily, if you are not involved with some form of a small group of believers, Sunday school class, home group, wherever that is, where you are coming together around the Word of God and interacting with one another based upon God and His Word, if that's not happening, I can nearly guarantee, because of my own experience and what I've seen for years of being in this role, if that's not happening for you, this is your only interaction with the Word of God, you are at best spiritually stagnant but likely spiritually dead. This will not be enough. Any more than eating one meal a week is going to sustain your life. This will never be enough. This gathering is essential. We talked about that last week. Don't get me wrong. This gathering is essential for your discipleship, for, for you uh, fo- being a follower of Jesus Christ. But it's not the be-all, end-all. This is the beginning. This is the starting point. And God has so much more for you. We grow in competency, Christ and his word. And thirdly, the outworking of that, another measure, is the compassion of Christ for all people. Man, I love Joey's prayer this morning. And I pray that God would break my heart wide open over that statement that we would learn to love those who don't look like us and don't talk like us that we would learn to love all the peoples of the world, all the various cultures, because that's the heart of God. The word compassion literally means to suffer with. It's grieving with those who grieve, mourning with those who mourn. and sharing the burdens of those who are deeply burdened as our burdens have been shared by our Savior. This is what compassion looks like. And the more you draw near to Jesus, the more you recognize that that's what you've been rescued for. You have been rescued as an instrument of His compassion in the lives of others. And I want to go ahead and say, on, put on record, people are frustrating. Compassion is hard it's much easier to just withdraw into a comfortable little Christian bubble and not enter into the needfulness around us the closer you get to Jesus the more you recognize that's not an option comfortable cultural Christianity is often really anything but Christianity so we've seen The means and the measure of spiritual growth. Let's finish up this morning talking about what are the marks of spiritual growth? How can we see this play out in our lives? Once again, this morning, we've got an acronym. The word GROW is going to lay out for us just four things, four very practical things that I think you can look at to say, is this happening in my life? And again, I want you to hear me say without any hesitation, if it's not happening, something is wrong. We have done far too much spiritual malpractice in the church up to this point, and I hope that we can begin to correct some of this. By enacting Ephesians four, enacting an all mentality, we were all meant to grow to maturity in Christ. So, what does that look like? First of all, first mark of spiritual growth is this: it's growth in God's Word. This is the root of truth. Jesus prays in John 17 when he prays for us. He prays for his church both there in the first century and all the centuries to come after that. He prays for us. And part of his prayer is John 17, 17. It's an easy verse to remember. John 17, 17 where he says, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so the reason why we, we don't come into this gathering and preach the latest, greatest self-help book is because it's no help at all compared to the Word of God. The reason why we continue driving ourselves into, into scriptures like Ephesians 4 versus the greatest church growth book that came out recently is because Ephesians 4 is better. This is the word of truth that sanctifies us, that grows us in Christ's likeness. That's a great definition of sanctification, by the way, just growing to be more like Jesus. This is God's desire. When Jesus prayed for us that they would be holy as I am holy, what he he was saying is sanctification, growing in in Christ's likeness, becoming more like him in his character. It's the root of truth, but then coming out of that, We also see the root for love. This is relationships. Remember last week, we talked about the great commandment. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And his response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God with all that you are. That's the the meaning. Love God with everything that you are. And he said, and the second is like it, tied into it, connected to it, inseparable from it. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, dude didn't ask Jesus what the second commandment was. He just asked for the first, but Jesus wanted him to understand you cannot separate the two. And so what we're talking about in terms of examining growth in our lives is, yes, yes, am I growing closer to God in that vital vertical relationship with him? Am I growing there? But also, secondly, tied into that inseparably, am I growing in my love for people in horizontal relationships? And we're in the midst of a cocooned culture, folks. People don't know their neighbors. Think about what we've seen over the last couple of weeks with this house in California that's been labeled the horror house. Many of you have been watching this story unfold. Thirteen kids radically abused and mistreated by their own parents living in a suburban dwelling. A house looks just like any of the rest of ours, at least from the outside. And no one knew the abuse that was taking place over years. To the point that a 17-year-old girl looked like a 10-year-old because she was so malnourished. And you go, how in the world does that happen? How does nobody recognize that that's taking place right next door? I even read the interview of one of their former neighbors in another another neighborhood that said that that he, he once had this inclination thinking something's not quite right there, but he did nothing about it. And now he feels guilty knowing what was going on behind the scenes. How does that happen? It's because we're cocooned. We don't know our neighbors. How many of us have a personal relationship with those that live right next to us? In a generation, a generation ago, or two generations ago, we, we were front porch people. People would dwell on the front porch, and they would, they would engage in relationships with one another. Now, now, we're backyard people with our privacy fences. And yet, God has called us into this church, which is something radically different from that. You cannot cocoon yourself in the church and walk in, in Ephesians 4 type Christianity. But we try. We come sliding into this worship service late, duck our heads, we don't want anybody to engage with us. Oh, I'd never go to a Sunday school class. I might actually have to meet somebody. Somebody might actually know my name. Small group, what are you talking about? But folks, relationships are not a biblical option. They're a biblical necessity. That we might come together in the spirit of the the, the Proverbs where it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That will rarely, if ever, happen in a gathering this size. That happens one-on-one or in a small group of brothers together doing that work. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 that I talked about last week. Which says that we would spur one another on To love and good works That we would not forsake the gathering together The meeting together with one another But doing it all the more As we look toward the day of His return I would even say Hebrews chapter 10 Is less about this kind of a gathering and more about the small group You want to see God begin To do a radical work in your life? Get around some other brothers and sisters yeah. in a setting that is centered upon yeah. the Word of God, Amen. and watch what happens. Yeah. I wanted to give you opportunity this morning to hear uh, from someone that I've watched that play out in a brother who, when I first met him about ten, eleven years ago, he and his family were coming here faithfully Sunday mornings. Their kids were coming. Some of the youth, I was a youth minister at the time, and we got to know each other, you know, just surface mostly. They were here pretty much week in and week out in these kind of gatherings coming and, and taking part here. But like so many, there, there, there really wasn't any appreciable growth in Christ happening in his life. Good guy. Everybody would have said what a, what a great guy he is. And we loved having him be a part of our church. But just kind of in that place of of stagnation, not anything really happening there. But then I began to see things begin to change. And the man that I knew 10 years ago is a different man today. I've watched the Word of God shape him inspire him, fuel his fire and his passion for Christ to where now he is one that God uses with the regularity in the life of your pastor to spur me on because I can get lazy in my walk sometimes. I need some iron sharpening iron, and he is one that God has used to do that with me. So Andy, brother, I want you to come up for a minute. Andy's one of our deacons, and he would never want to be put on this platform other than out of an opportunity to serve you and to glorify God. But I wanted Andy to come this morning and just to share for a few minutes about his own experience of going from this kind of nominal Sunday morning only sitting stew in the pew Christianity to a a living, vibrant faith that is such a beautiful example uh, to others. So let me grab you a mic, brother. I know you're loud, but not that loud. So uh, (laughs) he's not even really loud, but. And Andy, just take a, a few minutes here and just share some of your experience. I mean, what, how did God begin and, and has continued that work in your life of going from just this cultural Sunday morning-only Christianity to the, the living, vibrant faith that we have the privilege of, of, of seeing in you, what God has wrought in you today?
1: Well, it's uh, a whole lot like you said. I, I grew up going to church every Sunday. And as I grew up, into adulthood. I went to church every Sunday, but that was it. I would go to church and I would forget about God and everything to do with God throughout the week until I come back again the next Sunday. And then, uh, a few years ago, five or six years ago, I guess, I was sitting here in church listening to one of Brother Andrew's sermons. He was, uh, he was uh, preaching on, the, it was around Father's Day. He was preaching on the importance of uh, for men to step up and be the biblical leaders of their families. And I felt like he was talking directly to me at that point. Uh, I knew all my life I was missing something. There was like a gigantic hole inside that needed to be filled. And something come over me that, well, I know what it was. It was the Holy Spirit come over me during that service, and uh, anyway, toward the end of that sermon, Andrew uh, challenged all the men in the room to uh, give up something that they really cared about that might have been, they might have been putting more importance on than God uh, in their lives at that time, and so he said to, I believe if I remember right, to, uh, to give that thing up for a month And spend that time instead reading your Bible and praying and and see what happens at the end of that month. So that's where I found out how powerful God's word really is because I took that challenge. And uh, I really don't know why right now, but but I'm so thankful I did. And uh, so I turned off my TV for a month because I was consumed with watching sports or being involved in sports. If I wasn't watching it, I was talking about it. If I wasn't talking about it, I was reading about it. You can ask my wife. <laughs> and so it was a it don't sound like much, but it was a hard thing for me to do to turn that TV off for a month. I was missing about 30 ball games. <laughs> so I did, and I spent that time in God's word for the first time in my life outside of church. And God opened my eyes. Uh, to start understanding for the first time what I was reading. And uh, and I started praying, really, for the first time. I didn't know how. <laughs> but God transformed me through that period. And, uh, and after that, my growth continued because I had a strong desire to dig into God's Word every day. I may have missed, I'm not saying this to brag, but just to show you, how God's how powerful God's word is. He put in me the desire to read his word more and more every day. I may have missed one or two days in that five or six year period of reading God's word. And I got to have it every day. Uh, It's like, I don't, if I don't, I become stagnant. Like you was talking about. Um, I would like to say that after that, my spiritual growth, uh, Started with I started getting involved in Sunday school. Uh, I Went to Wednesday night Bible studies um, Personal Bible study at home But you mentioned small groups while ago and that was where I had a radical change as well Uh, There's something about uh, Sitting with a group of eight or ten people in a small group setting and sharing a little food and some laughs with them and digging into God's word and studying it and talking about how you can apply it in your lives in a practical way. And then and then we always split up in men and women's groups and just to have a group of men for the first time in my life that said, okay, what, what are you struggling with this week? You know, what's troubling you? and and praying for me. All these men were praying for me. I'd never had that before. And that that changed me immensely.
0: But, sorry. No, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, brother. Yeah. I just want to make one point before I let Andy sit. He's more like me, a little more of the introverted type that would rather not be up here at all, but uh, I'm going to make him endure it for a couple more seconds. Um, One thing that he said that I just want to point out to you is the spark occurred in a gathering like this, but it was fueled into flame in a different venue as he not only got into the word himself in his quiet time with the Lord, but... As he also got with some other brothers who were seeking to do the same, and even today, Andy continues in that. We're about to finish up what's been a nine-month journey through uh, something we are uh, some two-seven discipleship groups based upon the verse Colossians two-seven that talks about us growing uh, in our faith, being rooted and built up as as followers of Jesus Christ. And Andy continues to pursue. Those kinds of gatherings, because he has been one that's recognized that the Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. Amen. And so, I just want to encourage you: if you if you are looking to take the next step in this regard, uh, come visit this brother. He would be glad to help you figure out what that looks like for you and how to help. I would be glad to do those. Well, any of our elders would be glad to come alongside you. But we want you to know. That this is not just like level two Christianity. This is basic. That this is where it begins, not where it ends. And so, thank you, brother, for sharing this morning. Let's give him a hand one more time this morning. (laughs) All right, I'm going to fly through two more things here real quickly. These first two are so foundational: God's Word, relationships with God and with one another. Two more things, though, that, that kind of are birthed out of that. One we see is obedience. Another mark of spiritual growth is obedience, which is the, the fruit of love. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you'll show up at church every Sunday, right? If you love me, you'll drop a big fat tithe check in the plate every week. No, it's not it. If you love me, love for Christ is demonstrated in Obedience. We think of obedience as a heavy burden, and yet it is ultimate freedom to live in obedience to the commands of God, an obedience that is fueled not by the law, but by love for Him. Fueled not by duty, but by desire. And seeing a growing obedience in us brings about the greatest joy. I wish I had more time to talk about that, but just take it for what it is. And finally, Another mark of spiritual growth is witnessing, which is the, the fruit of the truth of God's Word taking hold in our lives. Jesus, once again, praying for His disciples in John 15, praying for the future church, which we are. He said, and He was teaching them, and He said, and you will bear witness. Because you, that's what good Christians do, right? We have guilted people into witnessing in our Baptist churches for far too long. No, he says, you will bear witness. Why? Look what he says. Because you've been with me. Isn't that beautiful? Because you've been with me. It's like those early disciples when they were brought before the council and and, and brought up on charges for for witnessing for Christ. They were told to no longer share the gospel, to keep quiet about this Jesus. They said, we can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. A man rose from the dead for crying out loud. You think we're going to keep that quiet? He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could have eternal life in Him. How could we not talk about that? And they didn't say in that moment, well, yeah, we have to do that because God said so, because He's a big meanie that makes us witness. No. It was born out of deep love for God that was fueled by the truth of his word and this truthing in love that verse 15 references that's that's the literal Greek translation of speaking the truth in love that truth is an action truthing in love we will always grow up into him truthing in love is born out in these areas and so then even witnessing becomes not a burden but a joy it's just the overflow of hearts that are raptured enraptured with him And so we've said for the last several weeks, this statement, we exist to glorify God by making disciples who gather together to worship Christ. That's this gathering. We talked about the importance of it last week. But this is not the end. This is the beginning. We go on to say the disciples who grow together in the word of Christ, and I want to emphasize this today, together. Don't cocoon yourself and try to do this in isolation. You will at best limit your growth, if not completely eliminate it all together. We need one another. But it doesn't stop there. Disciples are those who go go together as witnesses for Christ. Jesus sent them out two by two. We're going to talk about some of that next week. What it looks like to go together as witnesses for Christ. But this is what we've been called to, church. And not just to be disciples... But also to make disciples. So I just simply ask you as we finish this morning, where are you gathering? Is this Sunday morning worship gathering, or wherever you worship the Lord week by week, is this Sunday morning worship gathering an essential, non negotiable in your life that you can't wait for the time to come together with the body of Christ? Or is this just checking the church off your list? Where are you growing? Where is that small group of believers that you are gathering with, preferably week by week, to be sharpened by one another, to spur one another on, to grow with one another, to dive into the Word of God together, to ask the hard questions, to come alongside one another in times of difficulty, to support one another, to grieve with one another, to suffer with one another. Where is the one another happening in your life? And where... Are you going? We'll talk more about this next week. But where are you going in terms of your own witness for Christ? Where is that being put on display? Through You were meant to be a display of the glory of God. That's what your witness is about. Finally, are you a disciple-making disciple? I would say to you this morning... Yes, it would be my desire as your pastor to see every one of us be disciples of Jesus Christ, gathering and growing and going for the Lord, but even more so, the, the final component that is so essential is that we recognize, that we recognize where we began this morning, that the leaders of the church were never called to do all the ministry. They were called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And even as you get to the last verse in today's text, you notice how does the body grow. Not just when a few parts do their work, but when all the parts are functioning as God intended, then the body grows. Then maturity in Christ grows happens then we will in always grow up into him who is the head and if you belong to jesus christ you have a role in that and it is more than just to fill a seat in this gathering on sunday morning he has something more for you and you may feel like your gifts don't measure up to someone else's but i want you to know this morning they are so essential because he says they're essential and they are gifts from him so I invite you to measure yourself this mission statement is also a measuring stick where do you find yourself in what we've described this morning in terms of this worship gathering in terms of a small group a Sunday school class a gathering of believers where you can be sharpened and spurred on and growing and where is that being poured out in your life as a witness for Christ one of my favorite authors said attendance is a poor substitute for service in the body of Christ I think the reason for that is he has so much more for you a picture of that so much more comes in this table that we're gonna gather at this this morning as we conclude we call this the Lord's Supper first Corinthians 11 describes the purpose and the point of this table which is on the night Jesus was betrayed he he had a meal with his disciples and in that meal he took a loaf of bread and he broke that bread and he said to his disciples this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and they shared that bread together and then he said to them in this cup that he held up he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. What he was doing was giving them a a visible picture of the gospel, of his broken body and his shed blood that was meant to redeem us and save us from our sin, but also to be the impetus for us growing in Christ. (laughs) The new birth was always meant to produce great growth.